and Answers begins right now. Corey Miller was born in Utah as a seventh-generation Mormon. His ancestor was a polygamist and one of Joseph Smith's bodyguards. Corey Miller now is a Christian apologist who has led many Mormons out of Mormonism and brought them to faith in the one true Jesus of the Bible. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat began an interview with Dr. Corey Miller. This fascinating interview will help you to understand Mormon teaching and to effectively share biblical truths with your Mormon friends and the missionaries who come to your door. If you've missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. There you will find this message entitled, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, and hundreds more podcasts that you may download or listen. Now, let's get right to part two. And so in one sense, the logic of contradiction does not even phase them oftentimes. And this is why for a lot of the books that address Mormonism, they don't take on the testimony. And I've come to see huge value in this, not only because of my coming from the inside out, but I did dissertation work uh, in my PhD in philosophy on this, on the issue of testimonial belief and the knowledge of God. And then, uh, you know, really, really reflecting on all my encounters and witnessing to Mormon missionaries and so forth. It's like throwing socks on a, on a wall, you know, nothing sticks. They always come back to this testimony. You think you've got this logical knockdown argument and you deliver it and it's like egg and face, nothing worked. And so it's my contention, Pat, that even though it's not an essential doctrine, like who is God or how does man get to heaven, both of which find their segue in the person and work of Jesus, it is an essential to dialogue with Mormons. Unless you arrest this testimony, unless you get them to reflect and consider the possibility of doubting their testimony, you're not going to move to second or third or fourth base with most of these people. And so there's got to be a way for us to make a presentation to them where for the rest of their lives, so long as they bear testimony and they do it a lot, they're never going to forget that sense of doubt every time they bear that testimony, because as it is, I think they've got an over-reliance on the sole criterion of truth, which is the testimony. And you can easily show that to be problematic. We've got to do that very soon in our encounter before we hope to get to second and third base. Yeah, I've read a lot of articles and, and books on Mormonism and, and spoke with a lot of guys in Mormon evangelism. I thought that was one of the best part of your book is talked about here is understanding their reliance on testimony and how to get them to look carefully and question their testimony. I remember sharing uh, with a couple of Mormon missionaries a few months ago, and you know, I opened by saying, you know, I said, there's a big difference between Christianity and Mormonism. And they said, oh, really? We don't see any. So we just went through the doctrine of God, doctrine of Jesus, nature of man. Uh, after a long moment of silence, you know, they could see, I said, the two are not the same here. They're very different. After a, I remember a long, uncomfortable moment of silence, finally, the senior partner stood up and said, well, I believe because I've had the burning of the bosom and I know in my heart this is true, you know, just what you're saying. And so how do we get them to doubt 
their testimony here. I think that was a very important part of your book here. In trying to understand the Mormon culture, there's an internal culture, not just an external culture of customs and practices. And it is that they are feeling people. They are people of experience. And when it comes to politics or engineering, they're just as logical and rational as the rest of us. But when it comes to religion, they are a feeling people. And so we've got to be able to speak Mormonese, got to be able to talk about the experiences. And in this case, we've got to subvert the Mormon testimony. And the way that I like to do that, I call it the police lineup illustration. Mm -hmm. And I do this because I think it resonates with where the Mormon is at. They immediately can feel this. The first missionary discussion is predicated upon the foundational narrative of Mormonism. And that is Joseph Smith was in the New England area and he was being accosted by all kinds of different protestant sects like methodist which he grew up in presbyterians congregationalists baptist and and they were all trying to get him to join their their churches and he was confused and as the mormon story has it he went into the wilderness he went into the grove to pray and ask god which one he should join and that's when god responded back and says don't join any of them their teachings are corrupt, abominable, and you are to restore the gospel. Mormons have this story, this this foundational narrative of the grove, and I want to give them a very similar experience by asking them, by telling them, Elder, you have borne this testimony to me numerous times, and I can't help but think that I am right now in a very similar situation that Joseph Smith was in. How so? Well, he had the Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists coming. I've contemplated you representing the Salt Lake Church or the Brighamites, the fundamentalist Mormons uh, with polygamy and so forth, the Mormons that followed after Joseph Smith's wife and his firstborn, several hundred thousand, and there have been different sects. What if a missionary from every one of those came to me and said, join my church, just like they did with Joseph Smith? And one by one, they said, I've prayed this prayer based on the Book of Mormon, Moroni chapter 10, verse 4, and I have a burning in my bosom that my Mormon denomination is true. It's the one true church. Well, how do I know which of the one true churches is the one true, one true church? Hmm. How do I know which testimony to believe? You're going to tell me it's yours, right? Right. So what does that say about theirs? They prayed based on the Book of Mormon and received a testimony that theirs and not yours is correct. That seems to allow two choices. One, either they are insincere and deceptive. They're lying. Are you judging their hearts that way? No, no, we wouldn't judge. The Bible says don't judge. Okay. So, but you think they're wrong. Yes. So you think they're deceived. Yes. So you think that a subjective testimonial experience can be, a person can be deceived by that. Right. Question then, how do you know you're not the one that's Mm. deceived? And so it's like a police lineup uh, kind of illustration. You are in the position of Joseph Smith, and you're asking which church is true out of all the Mormon sects that exist today. And there have been 400 since the death of Joseph Smith. In fact, you don't need to know all of them. Most Mormons aren't aware of that many splinter groups, but they all know of a handful. And so you can bring them to an analogous experience like the Grove, and now here it is. 
you're in the growth. And what that's going to do is to show that at best, at best, only one of those can be true. At worst, they're all false because they all contradict each other. And that's where the Christian comes in. And now we can bear testimony with as much, if not more, tenacity as the Mormons do. But we have something more. It's not just the subjective testimony, which we all ought to have, but it's a subjective testimony that aligns with the objective testimony of scripture, of science, of, of nature, of history, and so forth. And so the Christian has the advantage here in that the biblical account and the testimony that we have matches up with the rest of objective testimony, with God's own testimony. And that's where I drive it home with 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, which mentions the word testimony uh, no less than a half a dozen times. And I challenge them, do you have this testimony? And if not, you're only in a different destination than I am. And I'm secure in Jesus. I know that I have the Son and I have eternal life. But you can't know that because you think that it still depends on you. So that's the process that I usually go, but I think we need as Christians to address this essential of dialogue, otherwise the Mormon is gonna to continue to fall back on it, and it doesn't matter what you show him or her, they've got this burning in their bosom. Now, after that experience, they feel the burn, they're never gonna bear testimony the same again. They're always gonna think about or feel that encounter that they had encountered with you. And they may eventually convert. Mm -hmm. You won't see it, but that's because they're trained not to appear phased by anything you or I say. But guess what? The proof is Mormon missionaries do convert, and we've got at least a half a dozen of them right here and more to come. Yeah. Well, that's a great explanation there. Uh, you've been listening to our interview with Dr. Corey Miller, president of Rachel Christie, and also Mormon scholar. And you can... Get that explanation and a whole lot more in a new book that they have just published here, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. Well, Corey, just to break off on a little tangent here, a lot of people may not know that there are over 400 Mormon sects. So breaking off on a little tangent here, because that's really interesting to a lot of people, you know, why are there so many sects? I mean, what happened here? If you could briefly summarize why you've got so many different splinter groups uh, in the Mormon church. Well, it's interesting because that is the entirety of their first missionary discussion. The focus, the entire focus is to show that, you know, Heavenly Father is not a God of confusion, right? And yet in the Old Testament, how does Heavenly Father get his message through? Well, through the prophets. That's right. Amos 3, 7 says so. How about in the New Testament? Well, through the apostles and prophets. That's right. And Ephesians says so, according to Paul. Do you know anyone that has living apostles or prophets? Uh, well, uh, well, your church does. That's right, Mr. Jones. You can be baptized next Tuesday. So the whole thing is to say that there's so much confusion out there. And Joseph Smith saw the confusion and Heavenly Father said, no, you're to restore the gospel. What the Mormon doesn't tell us is that they have got dozens and dozens of live splinter groups. Now, none of them are the same size as the one based in Salt Lake City, Utah, but that doesn't matter because it's not that size matters, it's that truth matters here. And so, you know, beginning with, you know, the Book of Mormon was published in 1830. 1836, my family had already converted and my seventh gen ancestor and sixth gen ancestor split 
over whether or not they would stay faithful to Joseph Smith or whether or not they would go to one of the high ranking members within the first presidency. And so there was the first splinter group that happened. And then after Joseph Smith died, Brigham Young was the senior apostle. He took them to Utah, whereas Joseph Smith's wife and Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith Jr., went elsewhere and started their sect. And in fact, that movement has retained a male heir with the last name of Smith for the entire time until about two decades ago. Wow. And so, you know, you've got that. Then you've got the fundamentalist Mormons who believe that Brigham Young taught that Adam is God, believed that polygamy should still be taught today. It was just because the Salt Lake Church apostatized out of expedience wanting to be granted statehood that they gave up and they banned temporarily polygamy. But they would say that the Salt Lake Church apostatized and fell away. And now they've been called upon to restore the new gospel. And so throughout time, and there is a book on the schisms within Mormonism written by a variety of Mormon authors showing the tree almost like a taxonomic chart uh, with all of these 400 sects throughout time, beginning with the first one with my family on down the line. And so you've, you've got numerous Mormon sects. The one that most people know about is the public one that usually you'll get a Republican nominee for, for president, Mitt Romney or Orrin Hatch or, or something like that. You know, they're very successful people, very affluent and influential. 2% of the U.S. population is Mormon, but 6% of the U.S. Senate is Mormon. Yeah. Uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, Cor, we've done several shows on Mormon theology theology of God, the difference between Mormonism and Christianity, on the doctrine of Jesus and others. So, and since we've been focusing on other things on in this interview, we haven't gone into much detail on that. So maybe you could just summarize for us real briefly, because there's other things we want to talk about mentioned in your book, just the basic theological differences between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. I mean, that's finite to infinite. There is not one single thing that the Mormon God has in common with the Christian God other than the English spelling G-O-D. Mm -hmm. uh, the Mormon God has more in common with the monitor people are seeing right now or the microphone picking up our voices in that it is finite than it has with the Christian concept of God or even the Jewish Islamic or Christian or the Western concept of God. The Mormon God is finite in every respect. And so when it comes to omnipotence, he's not all powerful. He's growing in power. When it comes to omnipresence, he's confined to a body, just like we are. In fact, Mormon uh, authorities teach that we are gods in embryo. Uh, so they've said, when it comes to omniscience, God is growing in knowledge. And so in every respect, and, and he's sharing his deity. And the God of this world actually has a God ahead of him, who has a God ahead of him, who has a God ahead of him ad infinitum agnosium, which means that the God that we're supposed to be worshiping, so Mormons will say it's called henotheism, the belief in many gods, but the worship of only one, is kind of at the bottom of the barrel of all the gods that have ever been. And at some time in the future, I'll probably surpass that point. And of course, that God will be beyond that. He'll always remain a step ahead of me. But the God that I'm worshiping right now is lesser than what I'll be one day. 
that's not really a supreme being. So that translates into their view of Christ, Christology as well. Their doctrine of salvation is a grace plus works combo, which is why they can never know that they know that they know that if they died today, they would spend eternity with Heavenly Father because they've always got the potential that they might lose it tomorrow. They haven't yet arrived. Their scripture says that you are saved by grace after all you can do. Well, how much can you do? Well, there's no commandment that God has given that you can't keep. We well, better get keeping it. Well, by what time? The Book of Mormon says by this lifetime or else. So it's not good news. It's not the Christian gospel. It's not the same God. And even though the Book of Mormon subtitle says another testament of Jesus Christ, it's really a testament of another Jesus Christ. Yeah. And one of the things you state in your book is you need to make your terms really clear because they use Christian terms. So when they say God or our Heavenly Father, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You know, Jesus Christ, our older brother, sounds Christian. A lot of Christian terminology there. But as you're stating here, they mean very different things, don't they? So that's something you got to really have clear, uh, not only when you're talking with them, but also clear uh, that you understand the big difference. That's right. Just because we spell it the same way, we spell the word mom the same way too, and we can spell it backwards, but it doesn't imply that you and I have the same mom. Once you start describing the character of that individual, you see that they are vastly different. Yes. And for more on Mormon doctrine, go to our website there at Evidence and Answers. Uh, and you can see a lot of good essays on Mormon doctrine here that Corey just briefly covered. Well, Corey, one of the things that makes this book unique also is written by former Mormon missionaries. And so let's talk about engaging the Mormon missionary here who comes to your door. First, tell us you know, about their background, just a little bit of their training and their mindset. And also, something people may not know is the tremendous pressure that they are under while on their Mormon missionary endeavor here. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Anderson and I did not serve missions. We converted before it was time to go on our missions. But the six internal authors, the ones really addressing systematically the Mormon missionary manual that they use to preach my gospel, they all went on their full two-year missions. And so they are authoritative on what it means to live the life of a Mormon missionary. And they know, like the back of their hand, better than the missionaries anyone's going to encounter today, what those discussions are. Why? Because the missions that people, the missionaries people encounter today have yet to fulfill their full two years. And if they're female, it's only 18 months. All of these authors fulfilled their entire two years from coast to coast and from various places around the world. They were committed. They were devout. Some have gone on to get seminary degrees, some PhDs, some have written books, some have podcasts. One had a book before he converted to Christianity called A Biblical Defense of Mormonism. Hmm. He's since retracted that and republished it with some new information. But one of the chapters by one of the missionaries gives us what the Mormon missionary life is like and, you know, starts at what time they wake up in the morning, what time lights out is supposed to be, how many letters you can or cannot write home. Can you talk on the phone? Can you use Internet, email, anything like that? And you're right. You, uh, you, uh, you, you pointed to something, the vulnerability that they all evince in here, that they show the stress that they're under the doubts that they have that most people won't see when they're talking with a missionary, you get the sense that, wow, 
these guys had consensus on this stuff. This is probably what's going on in the missionary's psyche that I'm talking with, even though I can't readily see it. And so they are trained for six weeks at the missionary training center, likely Provo, Utah, but there are other missionary centers around the world too, but they're trained there for six weeks. They get language training. They get theological training. These are young men and women that are, you know, now you can be 18 years old. They just lowered the age a little while back for males, 19 for females. And, you know, they're just coming out of high school. And some of them have not even received a testimony yet, and they're told to go find a testimony. Hmm. And so they look formidable, they look intimidating, but they have memorized virtually this manual, which is designed to dialogue with Protestants and Catholics. And if you say this, they'll say that. And if you say that, they'll say this. They know exactly the trajectory that they want you to go down. Hmm. And you know, that's why our book is so important. It's the first ever written like it that will help people to have confident conversations because you'll know how many times you're supposed to exhale on Tuesday night, how many times you're supposed to inhale, how you're supposed to be made to feel, what passages they're going to take you through. And the book is a good balance between the cognitive in the mind and the affective components. You're seeing testimonials of these people right before your eyes. Um, you're getting the heart and you're getting the head at once by those who are like the missionaries that you're going to be talking to. And the Christian can be relaxed, utterly confident. Why? Because they're not seeing, they're not going to see anything that throws them off the path. They know exactly what to expect. They've already read the passages. They know which way the Mormon missionary is going to take them. And so they can allow the Mormon missionary to still function in the role as teacher, how they see themselves. While we're the student, the investigator, but meanwhile, what we're doing, like Socrates, is we're asking good questions, and we're actually the ones leading them down a particular path, allowing them to think that they are. And what that does is it just creates a good dialogue. It allows us to have time of reflection rather than deflection. I'm not pushing back immediately. I'm learning what the missionary lessons are what they take to be the core issues of Mormonism. And then at a certain juncture, now it's my turn. I've earned the right to be heard. And so the Christian doesn't have to get emotional. They don't have to react. A mistake that the, so many Christians make, which then just validates to the Mormon, see, see, you're getting emotional. You're getting angry. I was taught that you would do this. And, and now I've been, it's been proved that we are a persecuted people. And this is showing it right here. If you want greater detail on how to effectively engage Mormons before Christ. Go to that book we're talking about here, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. Corey, uh, take us in just a little bit. I know you can't go into full detail. They'll have to get your book for that. But, you know, most Mormon missionaries, when they come to your doorstep, they they're say, we want to share with you the good news about Jesus Christ. And what they share is pretty much very similar to the gospel message of Christ. You don't hear too much of the, you know, Mormon theology and all of that in there, it sounds pretty Christian. So where do you go from there? Again, yeah, they use the same terms, J-E-S-U-S, G-O-D, eternal life, virgin birth, born again, grace. They're going to use the same terms and make it sound very similar. But beginning at missionary discussion number one, they're going to show why there's a need for a restoration because your church and all other churches 
have lost the authority and lost countless other truths that Mormons have brought forth. So, you know, you might ask them the question is, is Christ the son of God? And they're going to say, yes. Well, is he God the son? Uh, yes. Has he always been God? Hmm. You know, you're starting to drill in now on some of these terms. The same thing when it comes to salvation. So you're right. They're going to make it sound very much like a Christian gospel. And that's the nature of the deception. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find our Articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Wait.